Heterodorks. 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 Hey, Turfs and Trannies. You're listening to Heterodorks. I'm your co-host, Nina Paley. I am your other co-host, Corinna Cohn, and we have a very special guest for you today. It is... Did I say it? Not only did I misgender her, I just... (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well... You will be delighted to hear our interview today with Ms. Carol Hooven, author of T, the story of testosterone. Oh, we can we can we can we can we can chit chat. We can we can cut out we can cut out this recording. recording oh, I, I, I cut the stuff up all the time. Okay. There's do you like to editing. do that editing? I don't have a choice. I'm the the oh. pet I'm the pet trans. <laughs> Nina's the boss. I don't That's have right. enough testosterone to push back on her and tell her to do it herself. Yeah. He either he either does the editing or he doesn't get fed. <laughs> no kibble for him. Yeah, and and I'm not doing a good job editing the podcast on time, so I'm not getting my treats. Yeah. So I why did you guys want to have me on? Well, I've had a little bit of experience with testosterone, but only a very tiny bit. Yeah, and I don't so I Will tell you the truth. I just listened to my first to. I think I listened to your podcast with Alex, and I just mm-hmm. listened to the Alex Drager one, which got interesting in the last five minutes, and then it was over. And I just wanted more of that. That was great. You guys were getting into all that good stuff. I mean, yes, there was some interesting stuff before that, but you really got into it, and that's where I thought that the meat was. And it was really, that was illuminating. It might've been more than five minutes, but anyway, so that's my familiarity. And so I, I don't want to bore your audience if they already know, which I assume they do your histories. I know a little bit, but I would love to know more about where you're coming from. And especially the, anything you have to say, Corinne, about testosterone or also I'm really interested in depression you can take that one, Nina. <laughs> yeah. But so, sorry, you were going to tell me, so I was asking why you wanted to have me on and you said, you know, something about testosterone. So you're interested in the hormone. I, I am. It's, it's weird that I had, I was explaining to Nina earlier that it's so weird to read your book about testosterone because it would be like if you opened an anatomy textbook and it was describing very clearly how human beings, of course, have six limbs because you describe so many of the ways that testosterone works in especially humans. Yeah. And because I was castrated when I was 19 years old. And Physically. Yes. And, and had had a HRT uh, the year leading up to that. And did you, you did, did or did not take puberty blockers? They didn't have those back then. Okay. Or if they did, they didn't give them to people like me. Right. I mean, they had them, right, but they wouldn't. Yeah. It was for precocious puberty. Right. For the most part. Yeah. Okay. I remember how horrible puberty felt, and it wasn't something that you really got a lot of good information on from, or I didn't anyway, from the people around me. Reading your book, I, I, I felt a lot of sympathy for the males of the species because testosterone makes male creatures act really dumb. 
Huh. Is that how you felt yourself? Yeah. Do you, can you elaborate on that? Oh yeah. It was horrible. I was talking with a, another person who transitioned another natal male who transitioned the other day. And the, description that we agreed on is that when you're under the the throes of your body having its response to testosterone, it's like a gauze wrapped around your head. Yeah. And it just makes you run around uh, stupidly until you have some sort of post-coital relief. And then uh, from what I understand now from your book, there's, I I guess, like a, a dopamine balance change or something and then it, it, everything sort of clears up and 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 your brain is back the gauze goes away until it happens again and it's just like it's awful so you felt like in puberty you were consumed with motivation and desire for sex yes and that that prevented you from using your brain yes okay and this is of course what in talking about the book and in doing the research for the book, but even more so in talking about the book with people, with trans people, especially it seems obvious that what you're saying should be true, but it also seems like maybe that's a myth or, or maybe that's really overstated or just your anecdote, but no, this is what people who have gone through male puberty um, or natal females who transition have told me about what testosterone, high levels of testosterone feel like. And as a woman, you know, sure, I was horny when I was a teenager and maybe even later than that. um, But it seems like that it was totally different than male horniness in puberty, especially. And what you're describing is interesting to me, partly because it's scary for not just for women or men, say, on the receiving end of that desire, because it does feel, can feel overwhelming to be the target of it. Um, but it's also scary, like you're saying, sort of to be, feel overtaken by it. And all of the um, social implications of that and psychological implications of that. And I think that that is not something we talk about a lot because a lot of women are angry and I think, you know, rightly so, but there needs to be, I hate to use this word, but space, I think for the experience that you're talking about, I think it's really important that we sort of allow that to come out and talk about it. One thing about Corinna is that he, well, you were like one of the youngest transitioners of your cohort, right? Yeah. You transitioned very early for the time. What was the time? You look so young. Uh, I had surgery in 94, winter of 94. Okay. That's what exogenous estrogen will do, apparently, is make you <laughs> crazy young. It's either that or it's something else in Corinna's genes. But wait, in real 94. life, he also looks crazy young. Oh, wait. So how old are you so I don't have to do the math? I'm here. 46. Don't people tell you you look like you're 20-something? No, not anymore. Okay. Maybe the lighting is fabulous, but... He looks really young. Okay. Yeah, I, I get 30s in my 30s now. Okay. 
But anyway, he, he, my understanding, because I've talked to Karina a lot, but my understanding is that uh, transitioning was a way out of this and it was offered early. And so I think, I think about other men who it's like somehow they manage most men, many men manage this. They manage to live with their sex drive. They manage to live with it. I, I, it can't be easy, but I wonder what I, well, I was, was positing, you know, do men really need like a male role model of a father figure that has become a full adult and is coping with their masculinity with their testosterone because it seems like something you have to really learn how to cope with yeah no i think that's interesting nina corinda did you have a man in the house or a male role model to guide you yeah you, you know what's a little bit interesting in my case is that my father was i think he was 59 when i was conceived and so even as little sperm were swimming around with canes and walkers, it was kind of sad. <laughs> well, one of them made it. There was a, a good, strong one in there. So, Well, maybe. Yeah. One of them had to work. <laughs> I was conceived through a diaphragm. but Oh, a, really? Well, that's sure. very strong. Wow. We're around a diaphragm. Maybe around the edges there. Well, yeah, yeah the up diaphragm was in place. Wow. And did not work. Was the foam in there? Uh, I think my mom said that, uh, I guess she had been having a lot of sex and that she didn't replace it every time. So it might have been a day Wait, old. With, okay. And she might not have taken her, di- in other words, I, I think that it might've been a, like a second time without a diaphragm change in the middle, but I I, this is totally off. We're talking about <laughs> Corinna's lack of a quality father figure. Is this your lovely mom that I sit down and have Chinese food with occasionally, Nina? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm not going to be able to not think about that the next time I see her. She's, she's told me way too much about that. But anyway, we want to talk about your lack of a good father figure, Corinna, who didn't teach you how to cope with all this testosterone. But were you having dysphoria at that stage or did that develop sort of as a result of an uncomfortable puberty somehow or? Apparently there's this pretty common backstory now of bullied kids with maybe poor social development and- yeah yada 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 and that was pretty much my background so I did have uh, a lot of female friends and again in your book you talk about how there's a a, there was a study of boys who preferred playing playing with the girls toys or socializing with the girls and that a high number of those eventually grew and uh, into Gay gay men yeah do you feel like that was the trajectory? I don't know what your sexual orientation is. Was that your, do you think that was your trajectory? Probably. So I was talking to Andrew Sullivan about puberty and that was one of my first podcasts. And I found that fascinating because for him, 
he was gender nonconforming, but when he went through puberty, he felt like, holy shit, I get, I'm super horny and I can have lots of sex with men. So for him, even though his family was very religious and they were not totally supportive of his sexual orientation, he still felt that it was empowering and like the greatest thing to have a penis and to be gay. I felt like, wow, that seems unusual. That's, you know, great for him. But I wish that, you know, every gender nonconforming gay. I don't know why this upsets me so. Sorry. No, this is a hard thing for me for some reason that people can't just, that like a gender nonconforming boy is bullied and can't just be psyched to be a horny gay man and like have a lot of sex. Now you don't have balls and you're taking estrogen. Like you could just be fucking your brains out. Yeah. And that just makes me sad. Sorry. I will say, having been promiscuous myself, it's not that great a road. It doesn't actually make you happy. Well, as a woman, maybe it's different. Uh, no, I've heard from promiscuous gay men also. It doesn't make them happy either. Sexual compulsion is a thing. I was so sexually compulsive. Well, I don't know if that's compulsion. I think it's a can be for some men a freedom to have relationships that you want to have without any in a certain community where there isn't stigma around it. And I don't mean just being a slut. I mean, having, being able to live the life you want without restriction in a way. And I'm not saying that that brings happiness, but I feel like being able to express that part of yourself probably feels better than feeling ashamed of say, wanting women who don't, who don't want you back. Um, or who are putting up these boundaries that you don't totally understand, or they're telling you they feel objectified, or you know they feel objectified. So I think there's something to be said for gay sex. Um, I see what you're saying. Yes, that like, yeah. in other words, like you're potentially in some ways the happiest sex lives could be gay men because yeah. both parties are understanding each other. And they can all, you know, and they also have deeply loving romantic relationships. So there's both are available and there's always issue, different kinds of issues, of course, that come up in heterosexual relationships that don't come up in homosexual relationships. And um, while there's not always total social acceptance, obviously there are, I think, some, you know, real benef benefits there. But it's also just, I... It just makes me sad to hear that you, Corinna, were, had such a hard time. It's hard for me to say that that would be because of your sexual orientation. And it's just gender nonconforming behavior is what makes you a target, right? As a male, you're sort of, there's sometimes I think there's more flexibility for females there. If there had been just maybe four or five other boys in my jazzercise class, it probably would have been quite normal. <laughs> Wait, did you really take jazzercise? Oh, yeah. It's fun. Yeah. So, but so do you, so you, um, 
So are you saying you didn't develop dysphoria, that it was more, you did develop dysphoria, but I guess you're saying it was sort of in response, you wanted to make the pain of that experience go away or relieve that pain? When you're so many years away from the experience, it's probably hard to reconstruct it. And and yeah, it's also very tempting to build narratives around it. Yes. Um, yes. I know prior to the onset of puberty, I felt like I didn't belong with the boys at all. But that's yeah. that's just a form of, you know, you're a social outcast, right? So yeah. you're you're there's a, a group that you're supposed to be even even if you fight with some members, you're supposed to have your own sort of little gang. And I didn't yeah. really have that. The more I aged, the less that I had that sort of male I had no no fraternity. Yeah. At one point I saw on television that there were people who were born male and they changed their sex as as it, it was framed on on the TV shows and I was like wow that could be me. I don't I don't have to be in a world where I'm the only person like me. I could I could switch things and it made a lot more sense that I could grow up to be a woman than to grow up to be yeah whatever I was on the path of becoming. I always wonder about this for people, for natal males who transition, if they, who felt th that overpowering sexual urge, if you miss that or missed it. God, no, it's horrible. No, it was a relief for you. But okay. The, the one thing that I've started to realize fairly recently is that if I had just gotten through adolescence, yeah, then it would have calmed down. Or if I had seen a right. therapist and said, I don't feel comfortable managing these sexual feelings. Can you, is there anything that can be done to attenuate them? Yeah. So that I can mentally manage them better. Yeah. That might've made a bit, like there are so many things that could have made a difference, but I got fixated on a particular solution, which I have to say on paper worked out pretty good for what I was trying to solve, yeah. but um, I, I didn't have a lot of alternatives thrown at me. Like my mom wasn't like, you know, have you tried just going out and fucking your brains out with other boys? <laughs> that, that wasn't something that she thought was a really good option. Right. Well, did you fuck your brains out with any boys? No. Oh, no, because wow. it, I, I felt so disgusted by, by my sexual response that I, I, I couldn't bear to even, uh, you know, I had, I had a couple of encounters where I did fool around, but it was, felt horrible. It's called dysphoria. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's so, it's so teenager. It's so, like what you said about like, if you had just gotten through that, being a teenager is just awful. Sometimes even just being in your early 20s is awful. That phase can be absolutely horrible. And I mean, in, in my case also, that was when my depression like blossomed uh, like a flower. And it was also horrible. And a lot of that resolved just from surviving it. How old were you when you had your depression? Did you have episodes or were you just stuck in it or? 
Oh, I had episodes and it coincided with puberty a little before puberty. I mean, I can first remember contemplating suicide when I was like eight. Oh my God. And, uh, but the thing is like, it was sort of like a thought. Um, but yeah, it was, it was episodic, but I, you know, so I'm one of these women who, if transition had been available to me then I would have gone for it because it would have offered an out a solution to my pain. Yeah, it would have yeah. been an out. And and uh, I did not want to be a woman, no interest in it whatsoever. Did not what was wrong with being a woman? They are they're well all all of the internalized misogyny, right? Like you know, they're they're not as smart and dynamic and creative and they just make babies and they just sit there with their boobs being objects and I'm not like that at all I'm an interesting person and they're just weird thing happened in puberty all these girls were suddenly wearing makeup and you know I never got into makeup not until I was 27 and living in the Castro in San Francisco where the men were wearing makeup so that was when I decided to try it but um yeah I had a real sort of you know they were all fake and I never wanted to have child and the thought of pregnancy was horrific to me. I really didn't like children. And so menstruating, the one upside of menstruation is they're like, oh, but this is, you know, this means you can bring children forth into the world. It's like, yeah, it's even worse. And I was depressed, really depressed. And and at the time I kept saying, I think this is something hormonal. This is something, there's something wrong with my hormones. Something something is wrong. (laughs) Take me to a doctor, please. Did your parents take you to the doctor? I mean, they tried there, but these, you know, I wasn't taken very seriously. The problem now is that I would have been taken seriously and I would have been offered the solution and it would have been utterly wrong. So, I mean, it would have like added physical, you know, just, it would just would have added a whole layer of additional challenges and difficulties on, you know, my already difficult life. But yes, I would have totally gone for it. And the funny thing is now that I am menopausal, I'm I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, yeah, it probably was hormonal. You know, like I think I think my hormones, which, you know, in your book it just says right. they're not well understood. Female hormones are not well understood. Well, not as well understood as, as male ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, there was yeah the thing about the Coolidge effect. I was very Coolidge-y. What does that mean, Nina, that you're Coolidge-y? It means that I really liked novelty yeah. and partners. I yeah. got bored quickly with the same man. Now, from my perspective now, I think I think that successful long-term relationships this is not true in every case, but they seem to follow a pattern where first there is bonding between the partners. I'm talking about heterosexual relationships. First there is bonding, then there is breeding. Then there is bonding with the child and cooperating in the raising of the child. And I never wanted children, never had children. uh, So I was having sex clearly for other reasons. You tired of a partner sexually, not necessarily, and romantically. 
just sexually. Like I, I would be so horny the first couple months and then you'd want a new one taper off totally. And the man would, you know, because I'm in this society and women are expected to provide sex as a service and men are taught to be entitled to that. It's considered normal when my desire tapered off and I would still really love the guy, but I just would not have the, you know, it started to become work for me. Yeah. Uh, And then it started to be damaging to me because I would be treating it as, as work. And I would be looking at a future of more of this maintenance sex work. And there would be this like, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, I, I don't have a low sex drive. It's just apparently it, it only is like turned on the first couple months, which means if I am to be, you know, as horny as my long-term partner is demanding of me, the only way I could be that horny is if there were a new man introduced. Yeah. So did you feel like there was something wrong with you because you weren't what your partner wanted you to be or because you felt that you were also different from other women who stayed sexually attractive to someone as their relation, you know, or that deepened as their relationship deepened and you didn't feel like that. I wasn't normal and I had no models or explanation. I still don't, I still don't have any explanation for why I was like this. And also that there's just natural variation too. I mean, Oh yeah. There's, there's natural variation in the rodent side described in the book. It's just yeah. that these are differences on average. And, you know, that's clear in humans, that's clear in non-human animals, and there's some hormonal explanation for that. But it's so yeah. easy to misinterpret that as every individual must conform to this pattern. And I think it's totally natural. You know, there could be other psychological reasons, of course, but I also just think that we're all you know, different. Yeah, sure. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't purely that I wasn't normal. It was, it was this anxiety, a very well-founded anxiety that I, the man would not tolerate this. And that was correct. Would not tolerate your lack of interest. Yes. Uh, I, I did have a relationship that lasted four years yeah. Where the man was very, very clear that he didn't care. He didn't take it personally if I wasn't actually aroused or desirous. As long as I performed the services, Ugh. that was enough. And you stayed with him for four years. Yes, I did. It was a very oh. messed up relationship and I'm eternally grateful that I left. Yeah. But it was very hard to get out of. Also, I was thinking about trauma bonding with your with your book, right? With the With the chimp that beat up his partner. Well, that wasn't his partner. They don't really have partners. Well, okay. With his, when he was just hanging. His harem, harem member. Yeah. Um, and I actually, earlier today, confession, I listened to your interview on gender, a wider lens. Okay. You, in that interview, you said that apparently in the chimps, the ones that beat their, <laughs> beat their wives. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. They, that they have they have more children. And and when I heard that, I was like, right. yeah, trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is definitely a thing in humans. Yeah, I mean, or just, or just coercion. I mean, I think what is interesting and disturbing, of course, about that 
chimp situation, which I should just say briefly is when I witnessed the dominant male really engaging in a sustained nine minute, pretty brutal attack on a female who had two young, really young offspring with her. He, and they were alone and she wasn't even in estrus, which is normally, you know, when she can get pregnant. And that's normally when the females get the most physical abuse from males who want to mate with her. But what's interesting is people assume that we'll say in many animals, but particularly in primates, many people just sort of assume the females are choosing who they want to mate with. Because if you don't see the beatings taking place as the matings are taking place, it may look like she's just willingly mating with all these different males. But part of it is that she's been sort of coerced into acquiescing to whatever the males want because he, Mimosa, was beating Utamba at a time when she couldn't even get pregnant. But now, you know, but he's sort of teaching her in a way, you are mine, you will give me what I want when I want it, and it works. That's an evolutionary strategy that pays for him as a dominant male, so she will have more kids by him. So he does well reproductively through this type of aggression. This is not obviously clear that that's what is happening in humans, but it is a model in chimps. And it does raise these questions about free choice in terms of choosing who to mate with and when to mate, because there's coercion happening in all kinds of, in all, you know, many different cultures and many different forms where the woman does not have, it may look like she has free choice, but that's very hard to determine. When the whatever kind of coercion is taking place is not kind of matched with the sexual act, which of course is rape, but it can be temporarily distant, you know? So it's just kind of interesting think. And again, it is disturbing if just sexual coercion is disturbing, but just thinking about how that works and the degree to which we have, or, and other animals have free choice around, you know, mating decisions. Carol, could I ask you a question? You may. Actually, I better. That's my job okay. in, in this in this uh, relationship, I guess. <laughs> I'm just a little bit taller than the average male. I'm five foot ten. I think the average male is five foot nine. But I have not had any natural testosterone production for going on thirty years, close to thirty years. Do you think that because my testosterone is low now, that it would be fair for me to compete? with other women who are 46 years old. Okay. So this is where you left off with Alice. Yes. And <laughs> so here I will be, this is difficult for me as a scientist. So first of all, I don't know fair. The issue here for me is fair. I do think that Alice brought up some important questions and concerns. Um, and I know this isn't going to win me any fans on either side of this debate. Uh, I'll piss both sides off because I do not have a strong view about fairness in sports. I think it's a co very complicated. I think there are some potential solutions. I have strong views about the science and I have very strong views about being allowed to have conversations about the science and points of view. I'm 
extremely pissed off that people try to shut down conversation and call people transphobic who think that it's not fair. I think that's a totally valid point of view. My guess, I don't know you in particular, but yes, on average, yeah, you, anyone who went through male puberty, not any individual, but as a group, people who go through male puberty are stronger and more powerful on average than people who have not gone through male puberty, regardless of how long you've, from what I can tell from the research, you know, we don't have really good data on long-term um, testosterone suppression. We do have good, pretty good data on, you know, like one to five years and it all points in the same direction. And that's just not surprising in the slightest. You have stronger bones, you're taller, you retain evidently more muscle mass and more lean tissue, right? So yeah, again, it's not about individuals. It's just about on average and it is akin to weight or age categories. And, but I, having said that, I think that Alice raises an important issue, which is that there should at least be a discussion about what fairness means, um, how much we value what, like she said, competition and sports. It seems like a lot of people value it a lot, right? It seems like there's a lot of money and a lot of, uh, work and pride and sports, I think can be very important to people. And that's important to consider too. It's not all about inclusion. And, um, I think there are tons of issues to consider. So yeah, I think you probably on average would have some advantage having gone through male puberty that should be clear. People should not be trying to, uh, I don't, I think the argument that there's really no advantage on average is not going to be sustainable. I think if there's going to be an argument, it needs to be about, uh, ethical issues about inclusion, et cetera. What do we, there's going to be more and more trans women who want to compete. What, what do we do? What is the compassionate solution here? You know, I think it's very, I think, I do think it's complicated. I don't think it's straightforward because I know some people are just like, these are males who shouldn't be allowed in the female category. I think it's more complicated um, if you want to be, you know, sensitive and compassionate. But also you want to be sensitive and compassionate to the people who are in the female category who are pissed. They have just as much of a right to their points of view as do trans women and their supporters. That is my very strong view that you should never shame or try to silence anyone who disagrees totally legitimately. That is what is annoying, very, very annoying to me. And I see that as something uh, like Harvard just, Harvard Crimson just came out with a statement about we we're combating hate and transphobia and we support all of our athletes, you know, implying that anyone who disagrees is hateful and transphobic. And that pisses me off. I am pissed off at my own institution. Um, those women on that team yeah. have all every right to their totally legitimate point of view, but also so does Leah. Like she's someone who is, you know, it's not, I do not blame her personally. I don't blame any trans woman. I know some people disagree here. They're following the rules. So I think they, they're following the established rules. It's whoever's setting the rules is who people should be pissed off with if they disagree. She has every right to do what she's doing and I don't blame her personally.
So that is my view. Whether it's like fair or not, um, I think she has a right under the rules. She's not cheating. I don't think anyone should say that she's cheating. She's not. Anyway. Do you do you have a definition of woman? <laughs> you know who I'm married to? <laughs> a lot about that question. I will tell you, he could come in here and tell you what I, our actual conversation, no, I'm not, I'm not, he won't, but I'm saying, if, <laughs> no, 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 if he did, he would tell you my actual view here. This will probably piss people off too. I will fight and I have fought and I have put my basically career on the line defending male and female and what those mean. And I'm very clear about that. However, I, I, I'm not willing to come out and say like what I think my husband and many other people would say, which is woman is adult. It means only adult human female. I'm still, it's this language issue that I can't really get my head around. And I've had many, many arguments <laughs> with my husband about this. Who And so I don't have an answer there because I think just in terms of semantics, it's difficult for me. And I think people use it in different ways. I don't think you can use male and female. I think they're just clear biological categories. You know, I would probably err on the side of woman is adult human female, but I am open there to other points of view. I'm not open about male and female. I know what that means. Okay. What's male and female? Those are two different define exactly what. So I heard Alice Drager say that male and female are all of these different things that ha that are like hormones and beards and chromosomes. Those are features associated with sex. Those are features associated with male and female. So in sexually reproducing species, there are two kinds and they reproduce with each other. And it's just about the plan for the gametes, basically. There's no, it's just large immobile gametes is female, small mobile gametes is male. It's not about the chromosomes or anything else because these are obviously variable across species, but the differences in gametes are not variable in sexually reproducing species. To me, this solves all kinds of problems because we're not saying that someone who say has a body plan to produce sperm, like a boy, a little boy who's not producing sperm yet, he's still a male, right? But it, it's just a sort of simple way. We're not saying that somebody who's male has all the other male typical characteristics. He doesn't, that, that animal doesn't need to have anything else. They can have a male can ha can have breasts, can have full breasts and still be male. We don't need to have a thousand different categories to accommodate all these different categories. Like we don't have to have to accommodate different variations on organisms that produce sperm. You can be an organism that is designed to produce sperm even as a human and you can have gender atypical behavior. You can wear a dress, you can be me who produced eggs, I could have grown a beard. I could have worn male clothes. I could have taken testosterone and had a deep voice that I'm still a female. And that's simple, but it, there just doesn't need to be any value judgment about that. I think the problem is, is when it's mostly not 
evolutionary biologists who have a problem with those categories. It's mostly people who are activists who see those categories as restricting what's possible for gender expression. That has nothing to do with the reality of sex, in my view. These are separate things. And as a society, we, in my view, we should just let everybody express their gender, their sex as they see fit. You know, they can be one sex, but express themselves anyway or have any combination of traits. It doesn't mean you are not your biological sex. And I just wish that that were perfectly fine. And, and, that we then had gender and gender identity that then describes all of that variation. But people are so worried about the categories of sex placing restrictions on who and what you can be. And that is just a conflation of the issues here that I think is very harmful. That is my view. Sounds turfy to me. (laughs) Oh, you're going to get her in trouble. No, no. I think, I mean, it does sound turfy and that's the problem. No, that it does sound turfy and that's the issue, right? It shouldn't be turfy. It should just be true. Right. I want to rescue you. No, no, you don't have to, because I was just taught. I think that why the reason why I support the turfs (gasps) is not because I agree with them. No, I don't agree with them politically necessarily, but I like the, approach, which to me seems more based in reality as a starting point, like working with the facts, but then there's, then there's some takeoff from the facts to certain political views, which I'm not sure that I totally agree with. I'm just not that political, but I do like the adherence to what I see as scientific facts and open discussion and not silencing people. Maybe there's some turfiness silencing happening now. I'm not sure, but um, anyway. (laughs) Well, you included in your your book a couple of anecdotes about some guy named Lawrence Summers, okay, who used to be the president yeah. of some school in in Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, you changed until... the subject. You rescue. I see what you're doing. Am I? No, no, no. I'm I'll... Lawrence Summers. I think said something very similar to you, which is that this is just reality based, and we should use reality as a starting point. And there's obviously a bunch of other types of social considerations that are important when we're trying to figure out how to, how to optimize uh, ideas like fairness and equity. Yeah. And he got in a lot of trouble. Yes. Did you want me to comment? (laughs) No, no. I just, I just thought, isn't, isn't that like a warning? Isn't it better to just, uh, lie about stuff and and give the bullies their space and and uh I, I this is sort of like the the chapter on on the chimpanzees is these activists are dragging you out into the yard and giving you a good wallop so that when it's time to talk about real topics in a in a serious way that they get the benefit of the doubt yes and i've been thinking a lot about this obviously and i think what if you've got an argument or a position that you're trying to advance or fight for, if you have to lie or you have to obscure the facts to try to win the argument or advance your point of view or policy, first of all, it's probably a shitty point of view or policy. Second of all, you are preventing any kind of a democratic fair process from taking place so that people can air their views and 
hear the best argument from each side and then make decisions about what they think and what policies should be, right? So I feel like I, I personally, I think, have been bullied to some degree and people are attempting to silence me from silence me uh in response to saying something that is now considered turfy which is that there are two sexes and that sex is based in one's body um and unfortunately that is now tainted as some sort of political view right and and i'm apparently transphobic for having that point of view and that's an attempt to get me not to express that point of view, right? And I believe that that's a point of view based in facts. And Larry Summers was trying to do something similar, and he was saying something that was disturbing to people, which is that there might be something different biologically about men and women that could contribute to women's underrepresentation in STEM, because people wanted to argue for the belief that all of the underrepresentation of women is due to discrimination and the patriarchy. So when you prevent smart, thoughtful people from airing their views and having these kinds of discussions, you do not, you end up with uh, results that are less than optimal for a, for a society because everybody doesn't get to air their views and, and have them debated but also, I mean, for, for society in terms of the individuals in society, but also in terms of policy, it's just unlikely that you'll end up with something that works, that is optimal for everybody when you're shutting down most of the people who disagree with you by shaming them. And scaring them. Yes. Yes. And so Larry Summers, I do think, you know, as the president of Harvard, you have to watch what you say when you have such a huge platform. But he was in a closed conference and really was working hard, I think, to try to solve this problem as an economist does by looking at the data and just sort of brutally you know, analyzing the data without much thought to the implications, which I think is what a scientist or economist ideally needs to do. And there should be more of that without people being so sensitive. Um, it's not the end of the world. If there is this biological contribution to sex differences and all kinds of things, you just have to learn how to deal with the implications of that. It almost never means that women can't do you know, most of what men do and vice versa, other than like have babies and nurse them and stuff. I have a technical question. Yeah, that will also change the subject. Can Okay, so you you talked about complete androgen insensitivity, which is yeah. fascinating. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Because I've been saying, yes, a, a woman is an adult human female, but my category of woman also includes CAIS women. Yes. Uh and it's like, well, are they male or female? Read up about CIS women. Read the book, listeners, if you haven't already, uh, because because CIS has become it waxes and wanes in its controversiality. But apparently, some of the turban are currently stirring up trouble by uh, excluding CIS women from womanhood. And yeah, really, no, and I would, I, I would just... not do that. 
I, can I just say in the book, I write about a student of mine who I worked with pretty extensively and I do, I get a little, this is someone who is just super smart and an activist an intersex activist. And I really care about her a lot and know her, you know, know her story. And there's a lot of real challenges for somebody who is CAIS, especially it can be incredibly difficult if you go through life as a young woman and you find out as a teenager, which is already hard enough that you have testes and XY sex chromosomes and will never have children naturally. Um, so I just want to say, I know there are these debates about are these people male or female and that she, and I, again, here's another thing, area where I get into arguments because I'm sort of unwilling in this particular case, which I know maybe I'm not being as logical as I should be, but I also don't think there's a clear answer. And I sort of feel like it's not that important because these are so clearly women. And that's why, why I can't say that women is adult human female. Cause I just don't think it's so clear because here's a case where I think these are women. I cannot see how people with CAIS CAIS are not women. And then there's all these people who just want to dissect those people and their bodies to decide. And I feel like in this case, they should just be treated in every respect as women, regardless of what we decide. Did they go down the sperm road or not? You know, it's very hard in that case to say. I agree with you. And I now have, for me, a woman is anyone without or a, an adult human without a Y chromosome and or with complete androgen insensitivity. But you've got to make the caveat it's for SRY being translocated or downstream genes like SOX9 um, being activated. So it's really not just the Y chromosome because you can be XX and be male. So you have to have a little caveat there. It's really about the genes that cause the um, undifferentiated gonads to go in the male direction. Those can be expressed even in the absence of Y. There's a lot of different cases. And of course, you can be XY and you have a mutation in the SRY gene or important genes that are genes that are downstream from SRY and you go the female direction. So the chromosomes are just not, they're almost always, you know, predict sex, but there are many different ways where the sex can be atypical for the chromosomes. So it's SR, how did you describe it? SRY? It's the sex determining region of the Y chromosome. Right. So very early in embryological development, that gene normally expresses its protein, which is the SRY protein. And that is amazing because that protein goes around to a bunch of different chromosomes and upregulates expression of a whole bunch of other genes that cause the cells in the undifferentiated gonad to become Leydig cells and then Sertoli cells. So you've got these cells that can go either way, basically. If they don't have SRY, by default, they become ovarian cells. Well, tell you what, my current working definition 
I think <laughs> would be well. I think it would be useful because an XX man wouldn't be wouldn't be trying to. Well, I suppose in like an incredibly vanishingly rare situation, you could have an XX man who identifies as trans <laughs> and who. Boy, that would be a weird thing. Okay, I'll I'll get well, off of this. No, no, no. But that's not that weird because you when you have any variation in the degree of say testosterone well it's not just about testosterone exposure in utero but if you ha- you can when you have these situations where someone may be considered male but then there's something different about the way their genes are expressed early on you might expect there to be differences in gender identity on average i mean there's but you wouldn't with CAIS women no although Although in the literature, there is one case that is now disputed, which I was shocked to even see there was one case of a CIS person identifying as male, but evidently it's not that one case is actually questionable. The reporting of that is questionable. And it would be okay Um, if there were one case. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't think it's higher than absolutely bizarre, but. Well, um, but social contagion is a real thing. I mean, but these are very feminine women, typically. Yeah. Um, Social contagion is a real thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we see that a, a lot. So, okay, technical question. Yeah. Can females have CAIS? The answer is no, because... So for a female to have CAIS, she would have to... That would just mean that she basically has XX sex chromosomes and on both of her X chromosomes, her androgen receptor has a mutation. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Right? Okay. No, but think about it. If the androgen re- receptor has basically a disabling mutation on both X's, she got one of her X's from her dad, right? If her dad has a penis and shot some sperm out of it, his he's got a working androgen receptor on his X chromosome. He can't have his, he's only got one gene for his androgen receptor. So if that doesn't work, he's got CAIS himself and he cannot pass on his, he won't be making sperm. So it's, so it's only, so it can only be inherited from the mother. That's right. Interesting. Are there cases of women that have more than one CAIS offspring? Like, do they, do they pass it to all their offspring or is it only once in a while? No. So the mom would be a carrier. So she would have heterozygous mutation. So she'd have one X that has a mutation and that's not really going to affect her because she has another X with a perfectly good androgen receptor. So she passes one she can pass. Yeah. Why isn't it? Why isn't it more common? Um, well, no, but now I feel that I've forgotten something important because there should be an easy answer here. I mean, one option is that it's a mutation that arises that is not just inherited normally. It, it, um, arises during meiosis or something. Because it should, based on what I'm saying, it should be more common if the mother's a carrier. It, it has, it just made me wonder about women's 
uh, androgen sensitivity, right? So some women grow facial hair. Also in menopause, apparently a lot of women become hairier. Well, that has to do with the androgen estrogen or the estrogen androgen ratio. So your estrogen's going way down, but you're still making androgens from your adrenal gland. Okay. You know about that. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes. I know about that, but yeah. But if, if a woman were not sensitive to the androgens, then she would not. In other words, actually it made me wonder like complete androgen insensitive women they're not going to technically hit menopause. Well, you won't. Right? They, there aren't. I mean, they can They would have to have one working androgen receptor, unless there was some mutation that occurred that wasn't just inherited. But, but what I'm saying, so like, actually, what what happens when they age? Well, they're just they're making estrogen. You know, they're making estrogen. They go through a feminizing puberty because their andro- their testosterone is all converted, not all, but it's converted some of right. that. You only need a small amount of that actually converted into estrogen. So it's basic, but then, so they're going to have, um, many of them do, of course, get their testes removed and then go on estrogen replacement. And well, most of them, the testes are discovered and they're kind of routinely taken out. But I think that that practice is now being reevaluated because my student, for instance, decided to retain her testes because she doesn't have to then go on hormone replacement. She has this natural source that's working very well for her. There's a slightly increased risk of cancer, but I think, you know, she evaluated that risk and decided that it was totally worth it for her to maintain her testes. So I'm not sure that we know even what the kind of menopause is like, because I I think I'm not sure about the trajectory actually in older age. It's not, they're not ovaries, you know, so they're not losing their follicle number. And I don't know that there's enough of a population to be studied who have reached older age, who haven't had their testes removed. It's a, it's a very small sample and there's not a lot of good data, but yeah, maybe there's just a, and like an andropause, except it's with estrogen. It's like a very, very slow decline instead of like falling off a cliff, like menopause is. You're just going down a gently sloping hill, you know, (laughs) something like that. Did you say andropause? Yeah. Well, what men go through. So they have declining testosterone, but they're still making sperm and they're still capable of slight decline babies, but, and they don't have this very dramatic fall off like we do. So I have another technical question. Yeah, I get it. I'm now embarrassed and I have to look up, I got to look up the inheritance of, um, genetics of CA. Well, your embarrassment would be a source of pride for me. So (laughs) (laughs) that embarrasses you. Um, All right. So ongoing discussion with Corinna. Uh, Apparently endocrinologists say that if you have no gonads, you need to take some sort of exogenous hormone for health, be it androgens or estrogens. If you're an adult, why is that? Or I should say if you're an adult male, if you're an adult male with no gonads, why do you have to take some exogenous hormone. Why can't you just not? 
Given and given not that historically have... castrati did not have access to exogenous hormones, and there's this history of eunuchs, lots of eunuchs, yes. some of whom were apparently very long lived, according to yes. Uh, and I wrote about that a lot, uh, extensively. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't getting exogenous hormones and they were okay. Well, there were, you know, I think there, one of the big issues, of course, is bone health. And that's an interesting one because the, andro so bones can respond, they have androgen and estrogen receptors, but most in terms of bone health and bone strength, most of the, um, action is via estrogen in males and females. So the testosterone is converted into estrogen, which then interacts with the estrogen receptors in bone. And so having, I think, brittle bones is an issue with the eunuchs. And also they grow to, they just keep growing and, and growing because of growth hormone, for one thing. And then they don't have enough estrogen really to strengthen those bones because um, they never reach um, an estrogen plateau, which is what causes the growth plates in the bones to seal at the end of puberty. So there's bone strength, but then there's also, I think, neurologically some benefit for neural function and having mostly estrogen, uh, which, you know, estrogen and testosterone cr cross the blood brain barrier. And there's value, I think, for optimal neurological function to having um, enough estrogen in circulation. And I'm not an expert in exactly what estrogen is doing in the brain, but I do know that it there's some relationship between adequate um, sex hormone levels, primarily estrogen, and I think also progesterone for neural functioning. So there's something vague in my view that I don't totally understand in terms of neural function. There's definitely some necessity for having optimal bone strength. But another thing to consider is again, the adrenal androgens. So there is a source in even men. It's just that the testes just blow away the adrenal glands in men for the amount of steroid that's produced. In women, it's a very, very important source of androgens and estrogens, mostly androgens, but after menopause, it's more of an important source of estrogens. But so men will continue to have some um, androgens and those are converted into um, estrogen. But that's a much proportionally in men, that's a much smaller amount than they, you know, would have had with testes, but it's still something. So that's the best I can do, I think, there. And there might be some other effects that I'm not thinking of right now that are also important, like for skin. Yeah. Maintaining youth. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, I mean, there is something to be said for that in terms of vitality and energy. And I think even organ function. And this is stuff that's getting into the weeds for me. Um, so I think there's probably a lot more than I, that I am leaving out, um, for men, uh, that reasons why they would need, where it's beneficial to have either estrogen or androgens. Yeah. So that, yeah. Well, my dream is to talk to an endocrinologist or somebody who can really explain this to me 
Because I'm because of menopause or because why? I just like got on it. I was just like, well, actually, actually, because um, yeah, because of Corinna and because uh, well, there's this. It is hard to find detransitioned men the way there are detransitioned women. Yeah, there are a lot of detransitioned women, and men, the ones who do detransition, they seem to be swinging really far from one thing to another thing. Um, and there's something to be said for just stopping swinging. Uh, and just having no hormones. And, well, no, no, not having no, I mean. Or sorry, no, no, no estrogen no, no, or no. testosterone. I mean, no, I mean, not, not detransitioning, but just stopping where you are. This is a, this is true of both male and female formerly trans identified oh, people. You, you, you mean ending, ending, uh, external medical intervention. No, I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's possible. Right. So like I, the, the people, well, you would survive. I mean, I, yeah, you would survive, but I think that the steroids, the sex steroids do far more in other like functions in other parts of your body that we probably don't even appreciate. Um, so it's just a matter of having optimal health, optimal bone health, neural health, and then some organ and heart stuff that I am not equipped to speak about. But like, but also I'm, I mean, I'm also interested in it because like I'm menopausal, right? And I'm not taking any hormone replacement therapy. I can share, Nina. <laughs> well, I hear you trannies take it all. We are driving the cost up. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like I I like right. this. I'm doing really well. <laughs> I'm I'm a lot happier. Now how long? But how long have you been menopausal? I mean, that's a good question because uh, I had a hysterectomy at 50 because I had right. Uh, right. I was aware of my menopause because the fibroids that I wasn't aware of were apparently right. going necrotic and making me really ill. And uh, right. So, but I still have my ovaries. So when did you, okay. So you stopped, right. So you, it's not clear when you stopped getting your period, obviously, since you had no uterus. Right. I actually had a freaking period on the way to the hospital <laughs> to get oh my, my hysterectomy. And I was like, this is yeah. the last time you're doing this, you asshole. <laughs> no, you're, you know what, you're asking some really good questions. And for part of the research I did for the book was to really dig into post-menopausal um, sex hormone production. Mm. And what I, because I wanted some good site, and I have some notes on this in, in the end of the book, because I wanted to find some good papers about what is really going on in the ovaries. Is anything going on in there? And I found conflicting papers and um some suggesting that they're shut down, but others suggesting that there's low level estrogen production still uh, in the ovaries, which I believe because when you um, stop getting your period, say, you can still have the follicle sort of competing low, they start, they can produce low levels um, of estrogen. And I'm not sure when exactly that stops after your period stops. So that is possible in, in terms of like how I understand ovarian function. But then again, you also have the adrenal function. So you can have two potential, you know, you still can have some 
I believe that it's still possible to have very low levels of um, estrogen production. And I think it depends also how old you are, how long you've been in menopause. And I, um, but from what I could see, I didn't see very clear research on exactly what's going on in the ovaries. Um, and that may be just that I'm didn't, you know, dive in deep enough to that. But, um, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think the questions you're asking are so important as a woman in menopause, like, what do we need this stuff? If you feel great right now, kind of what do you need this stuff for anyway, but you did have it through most of your reproductive career. And that brought you to where you are physically and in terms of your brain funk, you know, in terms of your body and brain. So if you hadn't have that, had that throughout, you know, puberty and your whole reproductive career, you would not be who you are right now. Yes. I had a lot of trauma and it didn't kill me. It made me stronger. <laughs> uh, do fibroids generate their own hormones? I thought I heard, I guess I can look this up myself. Oh God, you're asking all these Okay, never mind. Questions. I'll look that up myself. No, oh. never mind. That's not a testosterone question. We'll um, get back on track. Well, I mean, I do know about, you know, about polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, but that's not what you're asking. You can have sex steroid production anywhere that cholesterol is sequestered and the enzymes are available to convert it into um, androgens or estrogens or cortisol. Um, can, can you just and, ingest exogenous enzymes? So not have to take injections? No, because those are broken down through digestion because they're proteins. But you, you are making or were making sex steroids in many, many different cells that are not part of endocrine glands, like in fat cells, in your brain, in different organs. Um, so there's low level, you know, fat cells can produce a fair amount of estrogen. They have a lot of aromatase. You should eat. Which converts testosterone. You should eat estrogen. carbohydrates, Corinna. Why? <laughs> to you get to more up. estrogen. Come on. I do okay for myself. Wait, are you thin? I can't say what's going yes, on. Yes, thin. And he doesn't eat carbohydrates. Wait, I have to ask that he, what, do you call every, do you call anyone by their, uh, the pronoun associated with their natal sex? Me? Yes. So you're hardcore. Yes, I'm a turf. She's the turf. So you're a hardcore yeah. turf. So you must disagree with a lot of what I'm saying. No, you're quite reasonable. You're, you're extremely reasonable, actually. I, I, don't think I disagree with much. I, I can't even think of what I've disagreed with. You're, you're, you have not, you have not said anything that enters the realm of like disagreement. You might be saying some things that are not exactly. You're putting things not exactly the way I would put them, but right, it's not. No, I don't disagree with you. So, do you, as a habit, like, would you meet a trans woman and in in front of that person refer to her as he? Like Megan, if it, if it were a new person who I did not know well, I would avoid using a pronoun for them at all. And this is for political reasons. It is for ideological reasons that in a, in a different world, uh, if we were not in the midst of modern trans activism, I yeah. would not do this. But, and I used to happily use 
preferred pronoun or whatever. I used to happily call any man that wanted to be referred to as she, I would happily do that. And now you don't because you think it's misleading or um, obscuring the facts that are necessary for certain conversations or policies or. Yes. I mean, do you know, you must know other trans women. Yes. And not, do they have a problem with this? Uh, it's been a long time since I have hung out with the other trans women that I was friends with. Corinna, what is your view on this matter? It seems like you must be fine with it. Um, but are you fine? Do you, are your, do you, if you have trans woman friends, I don't know who you hang out with, but like, it's hard for me to imagine calling the trans women I know he, cause I know they'd be so hurt. Yeah. Or well, hurt by it. you know, when I first was getting into the, the whole debate, the, the conflict between the, the turfs and the trannies, I did actually have some, uh, I, was, I was very self-conscious about people referring to me with masculine pronouns and, but I have very strong free speech principles and yeah. I, I heard the rationale for the ideological reason for not using somebody's preferred pronouns, but using their sex-based pronouns. And I said, well, I don't have to agree with that ideology, but that's not, that's not somebody who's deciding to be cruel. That's somebody who has a, a rationale that's based on trying to eliminate some of the encroachment on women's sex-based rights. And this is a technique or tactic that is being employed in order to illuminate that there are differences and that, that a trans woman is actually male. And I was like, okay, if that's, if, if it's not just being done out of an act of, of diminishment or cruelty, but that there's actually a political purpose to it. All right. That's understandable. What's great is that if I go and see Nina, I can dress like I'm going out in public and trying to look nice and just put Nina into positions where she has to refer to me using sex-based pronouns. <laughs> and I get to watch the reactions of the people around me as they look at her like, okay. like, uh, like the gray roots go a little bit deeper than just her scalp. You know, it's, it's fun. It's great. Nina, the it's peak trans. Is that what it is? When you were peaked? Yes. Is that the right? So if I say when were you peaked, that means when did you like see the turf light or something? Yes. Okay. When was that? 2016. Was there a specific incident? Have you been asked this a million times? Is this boring to? Mm -mm. No, deliver? I have not been asked this a million times. Okay. Because uh, you're American. Yes. I just don't. See, I mean, uh, this seems like a, you know, turf island thing and there just aren't. Oh, no. Many. So, okay. So one thing, as I briefly mentioned, I've had a couple trans identified lovers. Not me. I lived, not, not Corinna. They were, these were heterosexual men. <laughs> uh, oh, you mean ADP? Yes. In fact, okay. although I didn't know what that was. <laughs> Uh, I just thought it was cool and subversive and uh, progressive and okay. transgressive and awesome. Uh, 
So yeah, I, I lived in San Francisco for 11 years. I was part of the sex positive scene there. Uh, and then I moved to New York City and was in scenes there, not as much as in San Francisco. Uh, but yes, I, I was, I was down with the trannies and what changed was when Bruce Jenner changed his name to Caitlin and came out as a, a woman and that cover of Vogue came out and I found it sexist. Yeah. Uh, people were saying like, oh, he's, you know, she's a woman, the beautiful, this is what it is to be a woman. And I was like, Hey, hang on there. Uh, this is right. not what it means to be a woman, and this is pretty regressive stereotyping. Right. So I shared right. on Facebook an article about that, and people said I was transphobic. And I was like, what the hell? And they said, oh, you should meet some trans people. You know, you're clearly like a right winger. You said you said this on Facebook? Yeah, I shared it on Facebook. I shared this article on Facebook. And, this, okay. And, and then and the response, friends? the response, yeah. like I was saying, like this Vogue cover is yeah. sexist. Yes. And the response was to accuse me of transphobia, which had never happened before. And people were making all these assumptions about me, which were dead wrong. I mean, so right. far from true, it was laughable, except that... Uh, this was the beginning of my cancellation, so it wasn't very funny after a while. Two weeks later, there was the Rachel Dolezal thing with the trans yes. race, and I shared yeah. an article about that, and people were furious that I shared an article comparing, you know, yeah. racially. The race is totally different, and how can you even do that? And you're so you're transphobic and racist. And then yeah. I laid low for a while because I did not know what was happening, but but my I was smelling something very bad among the people. And I had one friend that I could talk to about this. Uh, and she was more, she was more solid on this issue than me. She said, Caitlyn Jenner is not a woman. And I was still saying Caitlyn Jenner was a woman. I was like, well, okay. Yeah. She's a woman, but I still think this Vogue cover is sexist. And she's just like, no, Caitlyn Jenner is not a woman. Um, you know, we met in secret to talk and people were saying, educate yourself. And so I do the work, uh, do the work. And the thing is, I, I could not be more educated into that uh, gender wokeness. I had been sex positive San Francisco. I had been in the epicenter of this stuff. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I guess I need to educate myself about these turfs I've heard about. And so I started reading. Oh, I didn't even know there were TERFs back then. Oh, yeah. 2016. Oh, it goes back way okay. further. Uh, so I started reading, and that included reading uh, The Man Who Would Be Queen. And, yeah. you know, when I'd heard about autogynephilia, I thought, like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, people, women have to be really angry to accuse men of that. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, my God, my lovers were autogynephilic. Oh, my God. This was not, yeah. like, this radical, transformative thing that I thought it was. And I, it, it was hard. It was hard to admit it, but it was like, oh boy. And yeah, I just laid low and took a year and then came out publicly because I couldn't believe it uh, that, you know, the, the turfs were right. Um, and then I came out and then I got canceled and from canceled and well i'm a filmmaker and okay my films got canceled. my films i'm the only filmmaker to be banned in my town 
Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I peaked, I peaked in 2016. I came out in 2017 and here you go. And yet the, I'm, I get some, there, there are some more hardcore radical feminists that don't like me because I have this pet trans. Clearly my loyalties are divided if I am friends with the enemy over here. Wait, wait, wait. Is it a turf? <laughs> it's not a general turf. I thought turfs are allowed to be friends with trans women. But the rules keep changing. Yeah, the old turfs are. What do you call the new turfs? It's not new turfs, but it's factional. There's, there's I know there's factions. Like I don't, any I get... growing yeah. movement, there's, oh, that's there's infighting and, I don't, and stuff. Not and so other, uh, I don't, that's... Yeah. Oh, so I'm I'm apparently more liberal than I realized, more liberal and pluralist leaning. Right. I don't even want to kill all the men, let alone all the <laughs> trannies. <laughs> wow. Carol, can I ask because first of all, I I, I just want to emphasize that if you listen to this podcast, you should absolutely acquire a copy of Carol's book from your library or from your bookstore. Start with your local bookstore, and then, if you must, use one of the other ones. Go get a called? copy and read this. It's fantastic. It is called "T: The Story of Testosterone." I it's hope. called "T: The Story of Testosterone." I hope. Yes, that is the name <laughs> of the book. Great. My memory. <laughs> my memory is bad. I blame the estrogen. I'm glad it worked <laughs> the out. Estrogen should be helping you. It's good for your brain. It should be. Why is yeah. it not doing more? You're not taking enough. Okay. I'm taking as little as they will possibly prescribe, actually. Actually, you need more body fat. That might help. Corinna, I just have to ask, too, about... Wait, are you a TERF? Am, I get called a TERF all the time. Well, do you identify or would you... You don't have to identify as one, but do you agree with the turf fee principles? Well, a, a few of them. I believe that sex is material and that was so. That should just not be immutable. a turf principle. That should just be a fact. It is. I know, it is, but though. it is. It is. It is. Because... I think that's why the turfs liked me very quickly because I said because I say that there are two sexes and it's. But I'm a, just a scientist. I'm just a biologist. That's yeah. So are all the TERFs that we're nice people. Yeah. We're not, well, right. there's a few, there's a right. few extremists who are really right. angry and stirring up shit, but most of us are just nice, normal people who like the trannies. Well, this seems really <laughs> simple to me is if you build a, a whole ideology on an illusion that you might be able to get a little bit of momentum and get that up in the air, but reality is going to pull it straight down. I hope. I mean, I don't. I I hope that reality is. It. Do you really think that, um, in your lifetime, say, reality is going to win, or is just ideology going and and thought and language control going to win? I don't see. I don't know. What do you? It, real, reality always wins. So, if. <laughs> If something bad enough happens and really degrades our civilization, then ideology is not going to help us feed ourselves reality well. But do you think reality is the best way to go for trans 
people to, who are fighting for certain rights and and lives free of you know harassment, et cetera, do you think that they would do better for their own cause uh, if they were more, I hate to say reality focused because it seems insulting to when, um, yeah, but I guess that's what I think. And I wonder if, well, it's kind of funny to me because if you really wanted to have a, a progressive outlook, what you would say is there should not be anything wrong with a man who wants to be feminine in society, a man who wants to dress in clothes that other men aren't wearing, but that's, that's not the style, but they shouldn't be driven out of society for doing that. You shouldn't be driving out men for adopting feminine names. Like in a, in a very progressive society, we would say, Live in a way that is comfortable for you as long as it is not causing injury to other people. But that's not what we do. We say, okay, because you are violating the strictures of masculinity, it is a lot easier for us if we create a bunch of legal fictions that eject you from the category of men and that way, masculinity is protected. Other people can deal with you. And we'll just pretend that everything is even keel. That's not how we do things, though. But do you think that the not non-binary category now is creating a place for that, I'll just say, fluidity? I mean, I don't love that we would have to create a new category that implies that this person is neither male nor female. I wish that people could do just what you said without sort of creating categories for every mode of expression. But do you think that something like non-binary is creating some sort of a space for Hmm. the kind of expression that you're talking about? I'm going to deflect a little bit here. Yeah. There is something I I saw this week, a Twitter account that stopped updating about three years ago, but uh, most of its production was in 2016. And and they retweeted a whole bunch of, it was called a common, it was called common trans boy. Okay. And they retweeted hundreds of people in 2016 who, who identified as trans boys. And so now you can go to their Twitter accounts and see where they are five years later. Wow. Okay. So what do you think I found? A bunch of detransitioners? That's what I thought that I would find. Okay. That's not, that's not what I found. A bunch of non-binary people? Happy people. Happy people. The account... Oh, gosh, I wish. The account <laughs> was created for trans boys. By and large, the accounts that are still active... Uh, first of all, every single one of these accounts has pronouns in the bio now. Yeah. By and large, the pronouns are he, they. Yeah. A large faction of this group are evidently, you can you can tell in a flash that they are female. Many of them have facial hair. Many of them have, I'm, I'm not sure a, a polite way of putting this, but do you know that 
once you get to a certain stage of your maturity, you you start to conform a little bit socially and you, you take on more adult trappings. Yes. But but these are people who I would describe them as they're they are failing to launch. Yeah. Their Twitters are full of fantastic illustrations that are, are somewhat childish yeah. or throw back to childish yeah. memes yeah. Or, or very childish phrases in, in the tweets that they generate. And they have a very adolescent mindset, even though they are now in their early 20s. So I, I don't know that this category of non-binary and gender fluidity is, is really that. I think yeah. it's a, a category of people who aren't able to adjust socially. I think the NBs hate Corinna more than anybody. Possibly. Right. Well, yeah, because I'm sure they'd have a different, they would have a different. Um... <laughs> Which one? <laughs> right. That's a whole other conversation. There are he, they's who do look like they are exceptions to this, but they, they don't seem like they constitute the, the majority of this population. I mean, it does seem like some he, they's are effeminate men who identify as non-binary um, rather, you know, as an identity, obviously, rather than just being effeminate. Oh, al- almost, almost none. It's not 50-50. It's almost none what? Almost no non-binaries are male. It is about ninety oh, percent. Oh, I was just interacting with with a gay man who wasn't even particularly feminine and or effeminate in my view, and but he um, identified as non-binary, and he was saying that he. Oh, look at that! Um, they were saying that they. This has been inspirational for their students, and they tell all their students that they are non-binary, and that it makes their a lot of their gender non-conforming students feel more accepted, and you know that their teacher is this way, and yeah, but that's a whole, that's a whole other area, I guess. Again, I wish there didn't have to be a category for people to feel comfortable being who they want yeah. to be, but. Carol, thank you for spending your time with us. Is there anything that you'd like our listeners do to follow up to to prove that they are good heterodorks listeners? Well, they should listen to all of your podcasts. Um, Otherwise, they're both transphobic and misogynistic (laughs) and anti-Semitic as well. Um, Yes, they can get a copy of T, the hormone that... What is it? <laughs> Just look up the author. I'm Carol Hoover. The story of testosterone, the hormone that dominates and divides us. But on Turf Island, it's just called testosterone, the story of the hormone that dominates and divides us. Is that bad to say Turf Island? No. Okay. No. Um, and I have a website, carolhooven.com, C-A-R-O-L-E-H-O-O-V-E-N.com. And I'm on Twitter at Hoovlet. H O O V L E T. And and anybody who's offended by this podcast <laughs> should contact Heterodorks directly. Yes. And we will we will mediate any other complaints from there. Are people going to be offended by this podcast? 
Only dumb people. Unfortunately, that's the majority. But not of our listeners. We only have uh, 17 listeners, and they're all brilliant, and we adore them. Are you looking to grow or no? Well, yeah, we're awesome. Everybody should listen. You are awesome. No, I mean, you offer something unique. No one else has what you have. What's that? You have the two of you with different perspectives, different, you're comfortable with each other, even though you have different trajectories and viewpoints and, but you both respect the search for the truth basically. And that to me is the most important really. I mean, that is one of my most fundamental values and that's what you guys are doing. And that, so I think you should have a lot more listeners. Um, I mean, you're just interesting. This is great. And I really appreciate it. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) This has been delightful. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, and I hope you, I hope we can stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. And we will. Okay. All right. Turfs and trannies. Thanks for joining us on heterodorks. See you next week. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to heterodorks. You can support our podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash heterodorks or by directly supporting Nina Paley on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nina Paley.